Old Guard vs New Guard, Episode 12 How to Set an SEO Strategy for 2021 Hi, I'm David Bain, your temporary host. After I look after the, the reins while Dixon recuper, uh, recuperates, uh, or recuperates if you want, from his misadventure. Um, but <laughs> D- Dixon's uh, hanging around in the background and still here watching us. Uh, hi, Dixon, how are you doing? There? I, I am, guys. I'm just, I just popped in just to show everybody that I actually did manage to get up off of a bicycle. If you haven't seen it, dixonjones.com look up ouch on dixonjones.com and you'll find a horrendous story of me falling off a mountain bike well it's horrendous to me anyway it's probably not so horrendous to anyone else anyway i i you know i'm nearly walking again but we decided that probably whilst i was on the drugs it was better off if david did the running of the uh the show and everything just so i didn't you know do anything too silly so i want to say hi thanks to everybody that did say thank you uh, that, that did uh, wish me luck for for getting better i am getting better I'm going to bail out now and let uh, let David uh, run the event, and I'm sure everyone will be great. But uh, happy 2021. It's got to be better than my December 2020, and COVID aside. So. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. So thanks, David. Well, Dixon. Great to see you, and um, you're, 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 you're getting healthier and healthier by the look of it as the days go by. And I'm sure that Dixon's going to be here to host the next one, which is actually going to be on the 3rd so, of yeah. February. So I if you check... So. Um, the majestic.com blog and um, sign up for that one um, when it's available and um, Dixon will be back I'm sure the show of course is brought to you by majestic.com mapping the web to help SEOs dominate their market Uh, today I would like to introduce you to majestic's link graph a recently released visual map of the immediate network that surrounds a website or URL now you can use link graph to discover suspicious link clusters, find the most valuable second and third tier link opportunities and identify valuable domains to buy. So for those of you watching the video, rather than actually listening to the podcast, I'm gonna show you just now quickly how to use LinkGraph or how it actually works. So um, here's my screen. So let's make sure that um, you're seeing my screen. So hopefully everyone can see that. Okay, and um, we're gonna start off uh, with the most important website, dixonjones.com, and just as an example there. And we can see that um, as you scroll out, you can see all the different websites associated, i.e. linking directly to dixonjones.com. Um, if you click on the various websites, you can see the, the trustful uh, citation flow there as well of each domain. But it's a wonderful way to discover other clusters of websites. Scrolling right out there, you can start to see second tier opportunities, uh, i.e. you've got a major website here that links directly to dixonjones.com, but you've got the, all these other websites that link to this site and could be a great opportunity to perhaps forge partnerships with in the future. Many other ways uh, how, how to use this particular tool. It's also a brilliant tool to actually check out your competitors' domains uh, to see which of their links are potentially of value to you and your business. So to find out more, um, check it out at majestic.com. Now, in the show, we normally discuss different SEO perspectives um, between those who are newer and those who are more experienced in the industry. But um, I've actually got um, three great panelists uh, to joining me today. And because all of them have roughly 10 years of experience each, instead of doing um, some of them newer guards, some of them older guards, we're going to do things slightly differently And today's old guard is what used to work from an SEO planning perspective years ago versus what's more effective today. If you're watching us live, make sure you share your thoughts and and questions, and we'll try and incorporate what you're uh, discussing too uh, as part of today's discussion. But uh, I would like to introduce you to the three great guests that we have today. So first up, a lady who is originally from Germany, She's a super efficient and logical lady, um, although she's been softened by years of British politeness and queuing. Welcome to the head of search at Base Creative, Anna Corbett. Hi, everyone. Hello, Anna. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on board. <laughs> so next up um, is a lady um, who's completely in love with teapots and tea sets. She has an MSc in psychological research and is the head of SEO and PR at Floris Pro. Welcome, Maria Amelie White. Hi, thank you for having me and apologies for the microphone again. So 
Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You were struggling to get your microphone connected beforehand. We've got you connected to some other audio device, but um, we can hear you okay. And um, we'll hopefully do a few tweaks for the podcast episode afterwards to enhance the um, sound even more. But uh, lastly, we've got a man who believes that plans are useless, but planning is invaluable. He's been speaker at more SEO events than I've had bottles of red wine over Christmas. Welcome to the director of SEO at Shopify, Kevin Indig. It's good to be here and uh, great to speak alongside Anna and Maria. Thank you, uh, David. Great to have you, Kevin. So um, let's begin by asking our panelists how long you should plan from an SEO perspective. So let's actually stick with Kevin. Let's start with a man who believes that plans are useless. Uh, (laughs) What are your thoughts, Kevin? I love your intros, man. Uh, So how long should you plan? I think it makes sense to plan a year but to leave enough slack and buffer to adjust and pivot. And when I say plan a year, it doesn't mean that you have to plan everything down to the minute, but you should 100% know what success looks like, meaning what your objective is. Um, and I think at least what you want to tackle a quarter. I even like to go down to, to a monthly basis because the uh, finer your um your plan or your incrementality, the more feedback you get, meaning the better you know whether you're on or off. So you're, from, go ahead. so you're saying, sorry, probably not to plan for the year, to actually have a broad set of objectives for the year, but have your um, more distilled um, step-by-step planning done on a monthly basis. That's correct. Yeah. What I like to do is I have one big objective a year, right? It's usually, it, it often is a, uh, a revenue number or a lead number, something along these lines. Uh, can even be a traffic number. And then I break that down into um, every month. And then I, I set objectives by the quarter. And that allows me enough feedback to see if I'm on track or if I have to adjust or pivot. Um, but at the same time, it, allow, it allows enough flexibility because, as we all know, SEO takes a while. And if you if you want to play plan it down to the day or to the week, you know, you, you get into this uh, weird limbo where you ship something, but then you need to wait for a couple of weeks or sometimes months until you see the effect. So this kind of combination allows me enough, uh, you know, kind of grip on the roadmap, but at the same time, flexibility to to let things simmer. Great. Okay, so we'll come back to you in a second just to find out what objectives you tend to set on an annual basis. But um, let, let's go to the other panelists. Anna, um, do you tend to mirror what Kevin does there and that um, you'd actually only have a very broad set of objectives for a year out? Um, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think that um, I, I also tend to work on a yearly perspective. So I, we, can, we kind of plan a strategy for, for the year for each client um but then that's uh, and and the strategy is really closely based on the goals that they want to achieve the business goals rather than like you know ranking goals or anything fancy like that we i don't i don't do that so it's basically what do you want to achieve as a business and then we kind of backtrack on our goals that we want to set from a metrics perspective um but with that in mind i tend to work in what i used to do is like one year plans and now it's more like, okay, well, we have a one-year objective, but actually we're working in monthly sprints, sometimes bi-weekly sprints, where we kind of go through that um, and then have three monthly reviews. So every three months we then go back and say, okay, well, are we still reaching that objective now? Has anything changed? Has there been any kind of COVID thing happened? You know, so, so it allows us to be quite flexible in our approach and also allows us to be flexible in yeah in adjusting to those changes and i think that maybe the others will agree that there's been a lot more changes in search um that actually mean that if we run with a very solid strategy from the beginning then at the end of the year that could completely be the wrong thing to do at that point so you know keyword research that would have been done a year ago uh, looking back at that now it's like well actually the underlying intent has completely changed so I find it better to be a bit more flexible and say, okay, well, this is our objective, but when it comes to actual tactics and keywords and targeting, um, you know, I want to be flexible on a at least quarterly basis. So we might even have an in-house versus agency thing going on here because it sounds like um, the your clients um, as an agency mm. provider are the ones that are particularly keen for you to appear as if you've got a an annual, um, you know, a fairly long mapped out set of ob- objectives. 
Absolutely. Yeah, they're always keen on seeing the bigger picture and seeing the long term, uh, you know, the long term benefits, like how, how, where are we going to be in a year's time? And I try to, I don't know, squeeze them to be more flexible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Maria, you, you work in house as well. Does that mean that you tend to be a little bit more short term focused in your planning? Well, it's, um, uh, my case is, in, is um, different to Kevin and Anna. I work for an agency that works mostly with small businesses. So we manage 750 small businesses in the UK. And uh, it is a completely different story. It's fascinating the way we work um, with, with our clients for SEO. Um, previous years, we used to plan for an entire year because our clients are, are small businesses, obviously. So they also, they like to see how are we gonna work or, or the, uh, have like a big um, KPI or a big objective and then we break it down by quarterly plans. However, COVID happened. So with COVID, <laughs> we learned and with um, we, that we, these plans now we, we do, we kind of do, instead of having a quarterly plan, we have a monthly plan and sometimes that keeps changing. And like Anna mentioned rightly so earlier on, um, sometimes you can plan something in January for an entire year and at the end of the year or as you go along, you might find that it's not actually feasible what you plan at the beginning because not only the algorithm has changed, but COVID has changed and consumers have changed and a lot of things have changed in case of small businesses. So it is great to have a big picture, break it down in chunks of um, every quarter, but also um, on a monthly basis, that's as well how, like Kevin mentioned as well at the beginning. So that's okay, how. okay. Um, Doc Sheldon saying in the live chat, uh, glad to hear that you're mending Dixon. Um, if anyone's um, got an opinion on this, we've, we've got about 30 people watching live at the moment. So how do you actually plan yourself? Um, what do you tend to include within uh, an annual set of objectives? Share that in the chat and we'll, we'll try and incorporate that or ask the panellists opinion on what you share as well. Um, so Maria, you mentioned that you have to be fairly adaptable, that uh, your, your, your plans can change. Because of COVID or perhaps other reasons, um, does that is is that is that driven generally by your clients or is it you as an agency that um, um, decides actually these objectives aren't quite right and and tries to actually get there before your client and advise your client to actually change the objectives that you're working towards? No, it is all uh, clients. We have to consider um, the crisis. Obviously, the clients how the consumer reacts and how everything is moved and you have to literally um this year it was very interesting because we have to improvise or not improvise but like literally have meetings around 8 and 9 p.m at night just to plan how we were going to cope with the crisis because uh, it, it was a more like a reactive response from clients and customers when the first lockdown happened it was uh, customers that um you had um, uh, the majority of our clients are florists. 80% of our clients are florists. So they were forced to close down, obviously. A good chunk of those clients that we had um, were not technology SEO savvy. So the first thing they thought, I have to close down my shop, therefore I'm not gonna have sales. So therefore I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to close down the website. And it was kind of like a, a, an overreaction and but possibly the plans we had of working with influencers, for example, with uh, pieces of content that, that, that we had planned um, for local newspapers or local charities and events, everything come down and we had to prioritize other things such as uh, how we're going to move from a physical store to an online store, how um, we focus all of our strategy. Suddenly it had to change from content influencer PR focus into a more like a user experience focus into more like um, integrating other stuff, how to increase sales, improve US experience, prioritize mobile um, um, experience for our clients. And we had to, for example, if we had, let's say for, for a good chunk of our clients, we had events with uh, charities or with local hospitals or, um, Pieces, uh, PR pieces for uh, to increase local awareness and, and for some of our clients, suddenly we had to close all that down 
And what we did was to look at things such, uh, such as um, still working with influencers, but now we have to look at things as, such as email subscriptions, for example, um, how to adapt um, Zoom um, classes, such as floristry classes, coupons, discount codes, uh, flash sales. And we had to look at that as well as exploring other things that were very successful, strangely, such as TikTok, for instance, to <laughs> drive traffic. And it was a point of actually driving traffic and um, kind of pushing sales that we had to do. We had to come up with plans, like improvise and mm. sit down and plan over. I remember, I'm not going to forget, it was um, during March, uh, around the 22nd of March, which I also had COVID as well at the time. There were meetings where we had, it was like, started meetings around 5 p.m. and finished around midnight because we had, first of all, to cope with all of the wave of calls we had from clients, panicking about their what are they going to do now that they close their business? And uh, some of them wanted to close their, their websites. And it, it was an interesting exercise. And from that, I take that, yeah, I learned that planning for a whole year is great. Having a great uh, a vision, having a, a big objective, but breaking down in chunks and be ready to improvise. That's what I learned. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it must be tough if you're working in an environment where you have hundreds or even thousands of different clients that, that use a platform, because then you have to firefight and deal with every client almost individually, but then actually try and build a system that, uh, that, that works for all your clients. But you haven't encountered this before. So you're just trying to discover things um, in a live scenario um, as you're actually um, dealing with these, these these client challenges. So I appreciate all the the the, the, the fires that you've come through yourself. Um, we, we've got a question come in from an attendee saying, how do you plan for a new blog? Um, I, I'm going to ask, that, Kevin, I'm going to ask um, you, you that question just in a minute. So have a think about that one. Um, if you as a business are planning on launching a blog, a new part of your website this year, how do you go about doing that? Um, but for First of all, um, let's go to Anna. And um, Anna, um, we've talked in broad terms about the fact that um, you, you, you try not to set too many uh, objectives or plan too much too far in advance. But what are mm. one or two objectives that you will tend to try uh, to incorporate into uh, a year-long vision that you share with a client? Mm -hmm. um, uh it, it kind of depends. <laughs> so it's it's based on a sorry, <laughs> it's based on a client per client basis. Because what I what I tend to work with is business goals. So rather than setting objectives of you know ranking or content production or link building, um, we work on a business goal for the year and then a business goal for the next three years and the next five years. So we have the long kind of term in in mind, and then we work back on saying, well, okay, looking at this business goal. Most of the time, it's generating new leads or make you know, generating new sales. That's class, obviously. Um, then we say, okay, well, with that in mind, um, let's pick this particular topic cluster, and we expect to get in X amount of visitors and X amount of conversions based on that. So, I don't have any set set objectives that I'm like, oh, you know, th these are certain things that always need to be done. Um, and I, I tend to focus it on the, what the client wants to achieve on the client client business objectives. Having said that, what always comes up, I think pretty much always is going to be site speed and just like, look, you need to improve that. Um, and lack of lack of content that actually serves the user intent. So I those are always things that come up as objectives, you know, fixing user intent issues and fixing site speed issues. But from an overall um, point of view, it really tends to um, depend on the business. Okay, it was interesting you touching upon topic 
um, clusters there because um, and obviously tying it towards sales objectives as well. So if, if um, a client's come to you and said, OK, I'd like to achieve 500 sales from organic over the next year and um, you've worked together to actually identify perhaps the most um, relevant topic clusters to the, the, the product or service that um, is, is being sold there. Um, do you work on some kind of uh, assumption that um, um, you're going to get X percent click-through rate from the SERP result and X percent of people are actually going to make a purchase? Um, so because I work in a kind of broader agency, digital agency, we I am lucky enough to work with other departments. So I will make a plan for SEO, including social and PPC in within that. So what we tend to do is we think about the user journey. So if we have a topic cluster, for example, we think about the user journey of, you know, um, a, like a see, think, do type of um, journey. So then we th say, okay, well, from an SEO perspective, what's going to fit into the see, this awareness um, phase, what's going to fit into the, the think phase, what's going to fit into the do, the, the um, transactional phase. Um, and then we supplement that with, okay, well, if we if we don't think that we're going to get enough traffic in from the um, informational phase at the beginning, then let's supplement that with some social activity. Um, if we if we think that we're going to struggle getting in the transactional traffic that we need, then let's supplement that with some PPC or, or some paid social work. So. Um, I don't know whether I make the calculations to say, okay, well, this is this is like you know these are the exact um, amounts or these are the exact results that we're looking for, but we certainly work in that kind of integrated way. Did that answer the question? Yes, um, in that. Um you're not just going to rely on on SEO to achieve certain figures and you'll give yourselves the leeway to be able to, mm. um, if, if SEO, I guess, isn't bringing in the, the, the volume of sales that the client was looking for, to be able to actually um, hit the targets that they were looking for with other forms of traffic. Yeah. 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 Um, we've got another question come in. Um, I'd like Maria, Maria to have a think about this one, which is, um, do you think you can deliver meaningful SEO results without a content strategy or any new content? Um, but first of all, let's go to Kevin. And um, Kevin, what, what were your thoughts on the question, how to plan for a new blog? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. I've done that many times in my um, career, uh, G2 before, and we were able to build that blog up to a million visitors. And then now at, at, at Shopify, we have quite a lot of blogs. And so if I were to run that question through the typical strategy framework that I use, it all starts with what success looks like, right? What is the objective or better said, what is the goal of the blog? Are you trying to drive a lot of traffic? And if so, what for? Is it for leads? Is it for brand awareness? Is it for revenue? And that's of course tied to the business model itself, meaning, um, how does your business make money, right? Is it is it possibly attached to a marketplace as in G2? Is it tied into a SaaS business like with Shopify? So there's a lot of context that decides what the goal is, but you need to have a goal in mind. The next step is to think about the constraints or limitation of the business. And that typically relates to, do you have writers or do you need to outsource content creation? And that decision has a whole red tail attached to it. Um, can you quickly whip up a blog, say on like WordPress or another platform, or is there is there developer effort involved? Um, so the, the second step is basically figuring out what you can work with, right? And then based on that, you come up with a realistic plan. And of course there are steps like doing the topic research, keyword research, and then doing the math on seeing how much search volume you can possibly target and how much traffic you would get out of that, which is tied to the goal. But I think the bigger questions are, you know, what's the objective, what are your limitations? And then the, the third one is uh, what competitive advantages do you have? A good strategy exploits your competitive advantage. And advantages can be things like, do you have expert writers? You know, do you have like, say, a, uh, a uh, staff of uh, doctors who can write content or medical staff or experts in their field, you have a good reputation, you know, or do you have, um, say, um, user-generated content that you can 
uh, use. So uh, that, that that those are important things to think about. And then lastly, what does your competitive landscape look like? Do your competitors have a blog? Um, and if so, what does it look like? Is it a high volume blog with lots of con or, or a lot of published articles, but the, the depth and quality isn't so good or do they use something else? So these are the four or maybe five steps that I, that, that I typically run through when I'm planning a blog. Okay, great. And, and what about content? How do you go about deciding what content to write? Do you research what content is perhaps um, doesn't exist out there? Do you try and aim for content that um, isn't as competitive? You know, um, it, it depends a little bit on the space, but I typically look for these competitive advantages as in what is something that I can create based on people that I have, people I can leverage, or data that I have that nobody else has. That's that that's the best um, defense you can build up because if you run into a situation where you don't have experts and say you hire or you have to hire a couple of marketers who have to you know, learn about a topic and then create content based on that, it is not a very defensible strategy because your competitors can do the same. So the biggest question is what can you provide that is unique to your company or situation? And then from there, the next question is how strong is your brand and how good is your link profile? Those two are often tied together and they then decide how competitive the topics are that you can tackle. So if you're typically, if you're a new startup with a, you know, very small brand, um, and a, a very young backlink profile, you want to go more for the long tail keywords and the, the non-competitive topics. Um, but if you're an established company, you know, you, you might be able to rank for very competitive terms much, much faster. So there is a lot of nuance there as well. Anna, I'll just give you a moment to think about the question that I give to Maria, because Maria appears to have dropped off for a second there. And that was, um, do you think that you can deliver meaningful SEO results without a content strategy or any new content? Um, but first of mm -hmm. all, uh, Alison Re Reynolds was saying, uh, what is the optimum blog length? So uh, back to you, Kevin, in relation to blogging, um, is it just as long as it needs to be? Um, is it the longer, the better? Sorry, Kevin, that, 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 that was for you. I'm not sure if you've uh, muted oh, yourself sorry, by accident I, I there. I dropped off a little bit and was hoping it was for Anna. My okay. Can you please repeat the last second? Yeah, sure. It was just in relation to blog length. So, so I came back to you because obviously we were talking about um, blogging. There was a question from Alison Reynolds saying, what is the optimum blog length? And I was just saying, well, uh, is it as long as it needs to be or is longer um, the better? Yeah, that is a fantastic question because I think that changed a little bit, right? I think that there used to be a time when longer was better as long as the quality kept steady and you don't have to fluff it up. But now uh, what I learned is that as long as you can satisfy the user intent and can satisfy the best, length is not that important anymore. So what that means is that you can outrank a piece of content with half of the content that that piece has as long as you have a superior answer, right? And that for very simple answers, obviously that, that's a completely different situation, but you also don't want to go for very simple answers because that's where Google typically uh, grabs out of market share. Uh, but for more complex answers, if you can give a better answer, your content doesn't even have to be longer. It just has to be better. Great. Okay. Uh, Rans is also saying, can we get a recording of this video? Yes, you can. It'll be published on the Majestic blog. So just go to majestic.com. It should be published in the next couple of days on there. Um, Anna, let's go back um, to you with that first question. And then I see Maria's come back on. So uh, we'll get Maria's opinion on it as well. So Anna, do you think that um, you can deliver meaningful SEO results without um, any significant content strategy? Um, so if, you, if your website content is already um, valuable to the user. If you've already got a good set that's, um, you know, that works well, that answers the, the user intent, then absolutely, you know, there might be something technical that's holding you back. There might just be some outreach, some some link building that you can do to, to make it more visible, or even, you know, just some social activity to make it more visible and kind of build links that way around. Um, so absolutely you can, but, you have to have the content to make that possible. So if your website is kind of a bit blotchy or you know is lacking really valuable content, then you're not going to get very far. Hmm. Um, but if you do have it, then great, absolutely, you can you can have meaningful results without creating new stuff. Great stuff, um, Maria. Welcome back there. You were dropped off Thank for a you. second there. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that particular question? Um, do you see many of your clients getting much SEO success without having significant volumes of content on their websites? No. Uh, in case of uh, small clients, uh, with, maybe we, you can get away with not having a, 
a strict content strategy for a larger client? I don't know. However, with smaller clients and um, clients that have maybe um, less um, pages, significantly less pages than, than a larger site, it, we have done many experiments and clients that have less content in their landing pages or content to offer um, place elsewhere to get links is more challenging to get uh, more success because obviously the um, the competitors, what they want is just to increase visibility for certain keywords or locations or topics or of services, products, whatever. So the competitors are like fears. So you have to have either content on your site that is going to be useful for your for your customers. And you just launch a website with no content and just your products like we have done in many, many tests or just fewer, just a few um, lines here and there. It's just definitely not, it's not going to work. Okay, for, great for stuff. doesn't work. Maria, we'll st stay with you for the next question from Neil. Um, Neil was saying, when planning a blog, how do you target content opportunities that are important to local searcher intent? Mm. <laughs> I hate to say this, but this is one of oh, those it depends questions. I, I do want to say that, but okay. Um, so, the, so you yeah. have you you have a few a few florists as uh, as as clients, um, yeah. and there are there, there are, you've got someone that's say based in London or so. Is there any particular type of content that they could publish on their website that they would make make them more appealing to local um, people? Yeah, it depends again on the, on the type of the clients, the location, what they offer. Because even though that there are florists, some florists are, for example, uh, focused on funeral florist uh, funeral. Uh, flowers others some weddings others some even we have a couple of uh, clients that are very unique one that is a gothic kind of uh, floristry service and and it's just incredible so it depends on the location the type of um, with local clients uh, you have to consider location and with that uh, the type of audience and consumer changes by location so for example uh, clients that are based on in Covent Garden probably the uh, customers are going to be different and the offerings, uh, the, the blog that you might write for that kind of audience might be different than someone perhaps who is in a small village in Leeds. So um, it depends. So for example, for um, some clients that offer all, um, also some um, floristry lessons via Zoom, we create content around uh, how to create pieces on content that is going to kind of push the client to be more curious about the lessons and uh, um, things that are going to push the client towards either staying more with us uh, as to with flowers again is is very very simple and I love that because you can get so many content and you can mix uh, psychology emotions um, crafts um, a lot of things with flowers and with smaller clients that so, yeah, it depends, as I said, it depends on the audience, location, and is, as I said, I find it a lot easier and simpler with smaller clients than perhaps a larger one. So, oh, so if a business was perhaps struggling um, to be seen locally, um, would be one of the first things you do ensure that they had a decent Google local listing? If some client is struggling to be um, visible locally perhaps the first thing where i would start working would be google my business yeah google my business is is a priority so in google my business you have the option to create smaller posts uh, and we, we we can um use a lot of things with google my business um post at products and and for everything you do, it is crucial to add UTM tagging. And this is incredible because as soon as you set up your UTM tag, tags around Google, uh, Google My Business, you can see pretty much immediately on Google Analytics, the behavior of the customers that come through to, to your website through Google My Business. And you can even see um, if, if, if the products you, you have uploaded on Google My Business page have, have of their preference, if they're how many sales and so on. It's very, very interesting. 
So great. That, that kind of answers Neil's question as well. Um, when planning a blog, how do you target content opportunities that um, uh, target a local intent? So uh, Neil, um, I guess what Maria is saying is the content opportunities aren't necessarily on your own domain. Um, if you can build up your own profile within Google My Business, uh, more content on there, demonstrate your authority and relevance within there, that's obviously naturally going to um, translate back into your uh, own website there as well. Uh, we had someone ask the question, sorry, Maria, you're going to say something else. Okay. However, uh, content, uh, because you work with smaller clients, so it's very, very important not to like write content just for the sake of it and just write really long pieces of content or really long, like over 300 and 450 words in, in each page, because what you're going to do is bore your clients or your audience and they're just literally just going to leave and lose interest. So it has to be something that is relevant for them, um, easy to read, easy to follow, and uh, like if, because it's just with small clients, like if you are talking, having a cup of tea with, with someone, like uh, on a, like having a chat, having a conversation, um, kind of posting, depending on the tone of, the, of your client, if it's a small business, that's kind of the uh, tone you use. So, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, um, lots of information on there. Uh, lots of things to think about there as well. Would someone ask, is there any minimum word count for ranking with optimum ranking on Google? I think um, Kevin's really covered that one by saying um, length isn't as relevant now. You need to need to drive people and focus on UX and answer yeah. people's questions directly there as well. Um, Kevin, let's go back to you with a question from Emir McCourt saying, um, Kevin mentioned that um, he looks at how competitive is the link profile. Could he mention some of the top three to five tips or a guide he looks for when gauging his link profile competitiveness? Yeah, absolutely. I work with a mix of metrics. Um, I found that some of the proprietary metrics like domain authority or domain rating can be useful, but I tend to not simply look at a single metric. I, I tend to look at several metrics in a row, right? So uh, if, if you have access to several tools, I like to do that a lot. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Majestics is a fantastic solution. Um, and I, I think there is a, um, there's something to be said about the strength of the domain and the strength of the page that you get links for or that ranks for the keywords that you also want to target and rank for. Um, so never just trust a single metric when it comes to links. Uh, look at several ones to, you know, to, to get a more complete picture. And then it really depends on what tools you have access to. Uh, I think the much better question, or the not better, but the much more relevant question is how big is the impact of links on the ranking? And that, unfortunately, is also dependent on the vertical you're in. I see that in certain verticals, the, the, the link profile has does not have a big impact. In other pro profiles, it does have an impact. Um, and, uh, I did also notice that link building is still very, you know, it still works pretty well and that links still generally across the board have a big impact. So you want to look at the specific use case. What I mean by that is it is much easier to say, okay, here, we're not ranking in top positions. Could that be because our competitors have a very strong link profile and we don't instead of saying, okay, I'm taking this one Majestics metric and then sort all of my pages by how well they perform against that metric and then try to improve it. Again, metrics are helpful, numbers are helpful, Majestic is a fantastic tool, but you wanna tackle the problem from the other side where you first look at could links be a problem and then evaluate your link profile against your competitors. And that's where I love Majestics because it has a, a topical, um, a topic related backlink metric. Um, and that can be the most efficient one when it comes to assessing certain verticals. So I hope that was concise enough to give you an answer to this. Great stuff. And um, I'm also going to come back to you with a question from Rans, which is um, probably just positioned for you, Kevin, which is what's a good starting strategy to market a Shopify site that sells products without high interest, like placemats for a table? I'll let you think about that one. But um, in the meantime, Anna, um, have you worked with price comparison sites before? Because Mustafa is asking about price comparison sites and about um, which types of pages on those sites are best to try and optimize and drive traffic to. Uh, he mentions category pages, not being able to drive much traffic to them. Um, would you be able to recommend an optimum strategy for where to try and actually get organic traffic to a price comparison website? Mm, that's interesting. Um, I guess... I would fall back on 
creating something in that that's going to be useful for the user. So when it comes to um, rather than just looking at the category pages of the product pages themselves, creating some kind of supplementary content that um, talks about the products in a wider sense, if that makes sense. So if we're talking, I'm just thinking about placemats placemats for tables because that was one of the things that just came up so if we were if we had a price comparison site for placemats for tables then i would i would suggest that we look that one of those products was was that we'd look at that specifically it's like okay and and kind of build content around that i mean um thinking about you know what this is maybe a really bad example, but what the use cases of these things are, and maybe maybe some of the history. Again, placements for tables is maybe not doesn't have a great history around it. But I tend to, I would probably tend to think about okay, what content angles can we find that create that could create like a a, a page that can then link out to the individual products and as well as category pages, but kind of focuses on the wider topic on the wider comparison rather than the individual comparison does that make any sense yeah so so <laughs> you talked about category pages in the same breath as talking about product pages so in other words you would attempt mm -hmm. to link to both the product page and the category page at the same time mm -hmm. yes i would so um i would probably have like break the page this this imaginary page that i'm thinking of in intersections where at the top i would talk more broadly about the um the product in general and link to the category page so you could then see okay well this is where xyz products are compared um, and then in, in, at the bottom i would then highlight some of those specific products and link to those out link out to those so um so there's a, a more bre a broader net linking deep into the product pages but also giving the users the opportunity to browse the category pages great stuff okay now we've got a pile of new questions that have come in just like that so we're <laughs> going to try and answer as many questions as, as we can so if you can possibly keep your answers fairly succinct for the next four or five questions we'll try and get them all covered there maria um do you have any thoughts on voice seo for um local search potentially when someone is is, is using voice search to try and find some kind of local result um what kinds of thing does a business have to do to optimize for voice SEO? Uh, what kind of things? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, is there anything uh, that, that a local business uh, that can do oh, to their website um, or, 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 or to, to other things? <laughs> yeah, what we have noticed is uh, in case of local businesses, um, if uh, uh, clients tend to use voice search only to find directions to go to, to come to the shop, um, but not necessarily like... Um, no, uh, to be honest, we don't, um, it's not something that we are prioritizing at the moment, maybe on voice search. We are focusing on, on other elements within SEO and digital marketing as a whole. Uh, but at the moment, voice search is not really a priority because the only, we have noticed that our clients and our customers use a voice search only to find directions to go to the shop. Okay. Okay. Well, but I mean that's interesting in itself because um, it probably demonstrates that you absolutely do have to use Google My Business, have a decent local listing, because yeah. un unless you're on there, then you're not going to be appearing in those map results and and and, and get traffic that goes to yourself. So yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Um, we have noticed as well. Um, again, um, on Google My Business Insights and other amazing tools such as Bright Local. Oh my God. I I don't know if I'm allowed to mention other tools, but um, in case for local SEO, um, Bright Tool is an excellent tool. And on Google My Business Insights, you can see uh, how many, um, how many, um, how how many requests are from your customers for directions for uh, several things uh, within Google My Business to get to your shop. And there is a large volume um, of um, requesting directions to go to shops, um, which made, makes us think either this comes from a voice search device with voice search perspective, I don't know, but it's not really, um, it's only, we guess that uh, voice search is only used for to request for directions, not really like to get to the 
Okay, great, great stuff. Okay, so I'm going to go to um, uh, Kevin and Anna with a couple of questions there, but um, one other question, Maria, for you to have a think about, um, and that's um, if you link out to plenty of other resources from individual blog articles, would you advise to use nofollow links instead of follow? So just have a think about that and how you'd approach that. And um, Kevin, let's go back to you in relation to the Shopify site that sells products without high interest, like placements for a table. Uh, what's a good starting strategy for that particular type of site? Yeah, and by the way, uh, Dave, you do a really good job in juggling these questions. Just want to point that out. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, so to answer the actual question, it it really depends on your audience on who you try to reach. The more of a, I want to say, commodity a product is, the harder it becomes because you compete with, um, you know, very convenient marketplaces like Amazon, or you actually compete against price. So the first question is, who should buy your product? Where are those people? You know, are they on social media? Are they, uh, you know, looking on search engines? You mentioned, um, Rance, that there's a that there's low interest, which to me somewhat implies that there might be low search volume for these keywords. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and then number three is how can you um, how can you stick out, or how can your product stick out? Meaning, how is it different from from uh, all the other alternatives that people could get? Um, and uh, how does it compare in terms of price, right? And so when you answer these uh, four questions, you then find yourself in a, I don't want to say corner, but in a, in, a, in a situation where you can construct a plan, an acquisition plan, right? And then you can say, okay, maybe TikTok uh, ads would make sense because I still come out net positive after looking at uh, the customer acquisition costs, or maybe an SEO strategy would be suited better. So I think it all starts with the customer, it then goes to the market and then to the product. Okay, wonderful stuff. Um, let's go to Anna with the next one from Jason, Jason Darrell. Um, Jason's saying, where there is a significant change in topic um, that you've covered in your site, um, is it better to update existing content? So perhaps to use the authority of an existing URL or to publish a new blog post, publish a new page in your website um, because there's been a significant change in, in that topic. So perhaps it merits a new URL, a new, a new page. I would actually say do both. Um, so I would amend existing content to make it at least up to date um, and maybe even with like with, with a tag at the top to say this has been updated and this is the date of when it was updated um, but then also to not maybe lose the the old content altogether uh, keep keep that there unless it's completely out of date and not relevant anymore but keep that old content there and then create a new um, page or, or blog post or whatever it is um, to cover those that that change. Do you so ever got, kind of got both? Do you ever advise clients to take that old um, URL and just 301 redirect it to the new content? Um, if it's completely irrelevant um, and it's been replaced wholeheartedly with some new content that covers all of the instances that the old um, content has, then yes, sure, that that's that's definitely a way to do it. Um, otherwise, I would deal with it on a actually mentioning on the page and then linking out to the new page too. So they can see that journey. So I guess it depends on what changes have been made, but um, either make sure you see that journey um, and comment, here's the new page, here's the new content, or redirect it if, if it's just not relevant at all anymore, then yeah. And let's go back to Maria with that other question about uh, links from blog articles. If you're linking to lots of different sites, do you use nofollow links, Maria? Um, if I'm linking out or if I'm requesting for a link. Yes, um, if you're linking out from a blog post, yes. Um, if you're linking to lots of different resources, um, is it better for your website from an SEO perspective to actually no follow those links? Um, we we don't really, um, it, it doesn't really have a, in case for um, um, small businesses, it don't, doesn't really have a major effect. So we don't really look at that. We um link out it doesn't really matter because in the end um, um what matters is the quality uh, of your content and um, the quality of the links that you are, you earn or acquire in all the websites and overall um site speed and other elements right than if you give a follow on a follow link um it doesn't really matter i mean we don't see a, a major difference on giving uh, follow or no following when we're linking out. Okay, great stuff. So um, no following was 
perhaps more of a thing a few years ago. Um, I used to yeah. see sites um, sculpting every link internally as well as externally with um, with no follow. But it, I guess it's not quite so much of a thing now with um, Google having evolved. Uh, Maria, hi, one other thing. Yeah, sorry, it's just a, um, a, that uh, now that you mentioned that there is a huge kind of still misconception and it's interesting to see uh, in, in some of our clients who are really curious about SEO and read SEO here and there posts is like they come with very interesting stats saying, well, we should have like 20% of um, follow links and 80%, no, 80% of no follow links in our uh, link profile and 80% of follow links. It doesn't really matter. Okay, wonderful. Um, what I'm going to do is we'll have got one more question that's come in. Um, so I'm going to give that to question uh, to Kevin. That's about disavowing links. But um, just uh, just after we get to that, um, I'm going to ask each of our panelists something new that you're incorporating into your SEO strategy in 2021 that you haven't done so much of before. Um, so you can perhaps share that just in a moment there. But um, Kevin, Emma McCourt is saying, I'm dealing with thousands of spammy blog post links. How critical is it to disavow these links? Why do people build these? Is it purely malicious and tense? Um, so disavowing, Kevin, is it um, an important thing to be doing now? I would make the decision based on how strong your link profile is. If you have a million good links and then 100,000 bad ones, probably not the worst problem. If you have, you know, 10 good links and a thousand bad ones, I would definitely disavow these. So I think that in your case, without knowing the context, I would say generally Yes, I would probably err on the safe side and disavow these links. I've also seen a couple of case studies recently popping up where people have disavowed low quality links and they saw an uptick in traffic. Is that the end all be all answer? Probably not, but I would on I would side on the on the um, uh, uh, with caution here. Okay, great. So not not the most important thing to be doing just now. If your website's perfect, your content strategy is perfect, your links are wonderful, then maybe you can focus in on that. Um, so let's get our panelists' thoughts on that final question, which is um, what's something new that you're incorporating into your SEO strategy in 2021 that you haven't done that so much of before? Anna, would you like to take that one initially? Sure. I think that maybe it's um, maybe I'm cheating, but I think it's this year is going to be a very interesting one. And I think we've got a lot of changes coming up. Well, just alone with COVID user user behavior changes. So I will encourage my clients to think broader and think, well, how does their business, how will their business survive this? How will their business pivot now that users will eventually, I assume this year, return to stores? Um, there'll be more local, um, more local intent again, it hasn't been so much recently. So I'll really encourage them to think about the Google My Business profile and think about how are they going to take advantage of that new new found again, in, enthusiastic local traffic. Um, and, and think bigger, think a bigger picture. How will their SEO strategy fit in with all of the other channels? Because I think that a lot of businesses are really struggling uh, or have been really struggling. And that's the imperative thing is like, how we can, how can we make these businesses work? How we can make them flourish. Um, and if SEO is the answer, then that's really great. Um, but I think it's just about where are you going to get that? Um, where are you going to get that exposure um, and think broader search features, any kind of exposure in search, whether that's Google my business images, videos, and you know, just thinking in search, but then also take uh, take a view at the other channels that you have um, at your disposal. Great stuff. Um, when you were saying Google My Business, I saw Maria nodding her head there, thinking, <laughs> "You've stolen my idea." No, <laughs> Maria, do you, what are your thoughts on what you're doing in 2021 versus previous years? Um, previous years, it was it was amazing. It was kind of um, well for me, it was easier because it was just focusing on on a year plan that you would break into chunks and you would focus on your technical elements and your content, you were with um, uh, with outreach and it was just all like kind of uh, pretty settled. But now we need to be ready for changes like Anna mentioned. And I made a list of little things that um, aside from the uh, old things that I would focus on, which technical links, UX, all of that, I'm integrating also into user experience um, prioritizing like uh, better payment flows on our website, uh, reduce payment complexity, uh, making more um, payment options for customers, um, adapting to the uh, perhaps it's not SEO anymore um, 
which someone said to me, that's not SEO, but uh, we, we have to integrate it with small businesses and is focused on things, integrating things like subscriptions, discount codes, um, little things on to push sales a little bit more and um, integrating as well, big media campaigns. That was a must during, during 2020, especially Google Ads, Facebook, Instagram, and the new thing, <laughs> we, we had to, it was very interesting, we had to uh, sit down and explore and experience it, and it, it was, that was TikTok. So we integrated TikTok for some of our local clients, and uh, perhaps it was the fun, funnest thing I, I have done this year <laughs> um, for some of our clients, and it worked really, really well for some. Uh, it's not for everyone but it worked for some, um, bringing, but that's um, elements that I, I, I'm going to focus on apart from SEO, but the, uh, on SEO related, uh, it would be, in our case, image optimization, geotagging images, that, that's amazing, focus, keep um, on the priority on Google My Business, GTM tagging, uh, pushing reviews, reviews are crucial for local for for uh, small businesses and for uh, local SEO reviews 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 and uh, user generated content faster and more efficient websites and javascript i mean that for us is a priority because our websites we work with florists and all of our websites are image led and images is what is pushing the clients essentially to uh, make a purchase but also we need to make sure that these images are <laughs> all of the JavaScript dynamic elements and everything are not being um, actually more damaging than beneficial. So we need to also keep an eye on JavaScript rendering and all of that. So it's a lot of things. There are a lot of things. There are so many different topics there that you've mentioned. You've mentioned many ideas for future shows as well. Perhaps the image optimization for SEO could be one of them as well, because I'm oh, sure well, we could have... Yeah. Geotagging, that has been amazing. And I have a few case studies on that, geotagging, uh, for, uh, using geotagging on images. And uh, yeah, Google My Business. Uh, <laughs> the list goes on, the list goes on. <laughs> the new one is for us, if I if I had to choose from all of everything I mentioned, the one I take is TikTok. It was very interesting. TikTok. And okay. TikTok. So perhaps the biggest thing for SEO is, is to focus on other thing apart from SEO. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> what is your thing that you've been focusing on or intend to focus on actually over the coming year that you perhaps haven't been doing so much of in the past? Yeah, I... I, I basically started to look at everything in SEO as an experiment. I think SEO has become so complex and so contextual that it doesn't make sense anymore to come into a problem with a, or a plan with a preconceived notion of saying this is going to work. And instead, my whole roadmap is basically a list of experiments. And I'm trying to have the highest velocity possible of these experiments to, to, to quickly gain knowledge, try things out at small scale. And then once I see that they work, roll them out as quickly as possible. I think that's the, the biggest change. Yeah, that's a, a great idea. I mean, I learned that for working for massive e-commerce companies, um, doing lots of tests, you know, have, have test and learn sessions and um, see what works for you and then, then implement it, roll it out. Don't just take it because someone's saying something in a blog post that it's a new thing that you should roll it out in your website without you testing it yourself. Right. Wonderful. That leads us also really nicely back to the beginning where we started when we talked about strategy because actually, you know, testing will actually change your strategy. So... Yeah, I'm 100% for that, Kevin. That's why Testing. that's why plans are are useless, but <laughs> yeah. planning is invaluable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. these guys have too much to share. It's hard to st stop them and actually end the show here because there's so there's so much great advice. Um, guys, just to finish off, what's the best social handle and website for people to reach out to you online and say hi if um they'd like to do so? Anna, would you like to share a a, a social handle and a and a website for you? Yeah, sure. You can get me on Twitter and my social handle is really easy. It's at Anna Appenzella with a double PZ and double L. Or if you prefer easy. Anna Corbett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably find me by searching Anna Corbett, but that's my handle. Anyway, that's my, my maiden name. Superb. Um, uh, uh, well, it was great to have um, you on today. The website is I'm sorry, the website. 
yeah, sorry, basecreative.co.uk is my agency website. Superb. And Maria, where can people find you online? Uh, on Twitter. Um, I live on Twitter. <laughs> uh, it's Maria underscore Amelie. That's it. That's my Twitter account. And um, yeah, if you have any questions, you feel free to send me a DM and I'll get back to you. Um, and what's your website? Uh, floresprow.co.uk. Wonderful stuff. Um, we've got Patrick saying thanks for your time today, guys. Great stuff. And um, uh, other people saying thanks so much, bro. Um, Kevin, where can people say hello to you online? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, at Kevin underscore Indig. That's I-N-D-I-G, like Indigo. Uh, or just Google my name. You'll find my website and my Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful stuff. Well, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Thanks to everyone for watching live. It's been wonderful having so many questions. I've been your temporary host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts and video shows for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Join us on Wednesday, the 3rd of March at 5 p.m. GMT. That's 12 p.m. Eastern time for the next episode, where we're going to be asking the question, how do you use SEO to serve audience intent? Dixon Jones should be back in the host chair for that one. And uh, joining him will be Imogen Davies from Found, Jenny Holtz from JLH Marketing, and freelance SEO consultant Natalie Mott. Uh, sign up to be part of the live audience for that one over at Majestic.com. But um, thanks again, everyone, for being part of today's show. Um, great to have you. Uh, bye-bye for now. Thank you.